0: Second Samuel chapter nine, verse one, verse one through eleven. I'm reading from the New Century Version. You can read whichever version you are, you have with you, and I want you to follow along with me. Here, we're going to read eleven verses. Don't faint, those of you like eleven verses. It's usually two or three. Calm down. You're going to be okay. It says. David asked, is anyone still left in Saul's family? I want to show kindness to that person for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant named Ziba from Saul's family. So David's servants called Ziba to him. King David said to him, are you Ziba? He answered, yes, I am your servant. The king asked, is anyone left in Saul's family? I want to show God's kindness to that person. Ziba answered the king, Jonathan has a son still living who is crippled, In both feet. The king asked Ziba, Where is this son? Ziba answered, He is at the house of Bekir, son of Amiel, in Lo Debar. Then King David had servants bring Jonathan's son from the house of Bekir, son of Amiel, in Lo Debar. Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, came before David and bowed face down on the ground. David said, Mephibosheth, he said, I am your servant. David said to him, don't be afraid. I will be kind to you for your father, Jonathan's sake. I will give you back all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed to David again and said, you are being very kind to me, your servant. I know better than a dead dog. Verse nine. Then King David called Saul's servant Seba. David said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You, your sons, and your servants will farm the land and harvest the crops. Then your family will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will always eat at my table. Now Seba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Seba said to King David, I, your servant, will do everything my master. The king has commanded me. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as if he were one of the king's sons. What an amazing story. You may take your seats. This is one of my favorite stories in scripture. And and I want to share with you. Some of the principles that we can get from here. But let me give you, if you would have some patience with me, let me lay a foundation telling you what's going on here. Shortly after after what took place here that we read this scripture, shortly after King Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle. But before he died, Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. After both King Saul and Jonathan are killed, he should be the rightful heir to the throne. King Saul is the king. His son, Jonathan, would be the heir, but he is also killed. So in line, it should be Mephibosheth, who is now the next king, but he's not exactly a threat to David. There's one short verse, very short verse that mentions the condition of Jonathan's son, and that's in 2 Samuel 4, verse 4. Let me read that to you. It says, Jonathan's son... Grandson, and Saul had, had a son who's lame with both feet, excuse me. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and he fled. But as he hurried to leave, he fell and he became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. Now, he is never healed from this condition. He is forever crippled for the rest of his life. Always having to rely on the help of somebody else to get him where he wants to go. Everyone knows now that the kingdom will now belong to David. Who had years earlier been anointed as king. It is customary for the new kingship to enter and to eliminate everybody from the previous kingdom. They have to eliminate the family members of the previous king To avoid any revolt or rebellion to come against the new king. It is very customary for the king to to eliminate and wipe out everybody. And so when the news hits home that both Saul and Jonathan have died in battle, they begin to flee out of Saul's house. And they pick him up, Mephibosheth, five years old, fleeing, and he breaks both of his ankles permanently. I'm talking about a permanent damage, not like when I play against Brother Christopher in basketball and I break his ankles all the time. I'm talking about a legitimate break that leaves a permanent condition in his life. Now, we can spend a lot of time talking about the richness of this story, but I want to share with you a few principles here. And this is point number one that I want you to get, that our brokenness, here here is, is Mephibosheth who's broken, but the point I want to make to you is this. Our brokenness in our life can cripple us. The brokenness in my life can cripple me. As we read in chapter 4 verse 4, he had, said had nothing to do with the fact that he was now permanently disabled. He didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't a bad choice of his. It wasn't because he was hanging out with the wrong crowd. It wasn't because he decided to do this or that. He had nothing to do with the condition that now he had to live with. And when we analyze our own life, the brokenness that we live through sometimes, sometimes it's because of our own doing. Sometimes it could be a choice that we made. But some of us have had to experience brokenness where we had nothing to do with you. And that type of brokenness sometimes is very difficult to deal with because you didn't choose for your parents to leave or you didn't decide to end that relationship. You didn't make that choice, but that brokenness still came and continues to cripple some of our lives. His name is Mephibosheth. Sound it out with me. Boshef. Can you say that? Is there any pregnant ladies in the house? There's your name for your next boy. You can call him Mephi for short. Come here, Mephi, Mephi, Bosheth. See, as children of God, those of you who, are, who are, have begun to join us in these services, maybe not for a long time, let me reveal something to you. We don't pretend to have it all together. We we don't like to pretend that we live perfect lives and that we've never experienced trauma and that we've never experienced brokenness. Now that we are saved and God has granted us the privilege of the honor to feel the joy of the Lord, we rejoice and we dance and we praise Him, but that's not always how we were. We experience this brokenness that comes into our life, sometimes not because of us. And Mephibosheth is forever broken and crippled, but it was not his fault. He was five years old. We can very easily experience brokenness in our life because someone else made a selfish decision. Someone else's bad choices came to affect and break us. Now, if if your enemy decides to hurt you, that's one thing. But when a close one hurts you, that's another type of brokenness. And and David understood this. Listen to what he wrote in, in Psalms 55, verse 12 through 14. I'm reading from the message translation that says this. This isn't the neighborhood bully that was mocking me. I could take that. This isn't a foreign devil spitting at me. I could tune that out, but it was you. We grew up together. You, my best friend, those long hours of leisure as we walked arm in arm, got a third party to our conversation. This is a different type of brokenness. When someone who should have been caring for me, someone who should have shown me affection, instead of bringing that, brought brokenness and crippled our life. His condition, Mephibosheth condition, is a type and a figure of your condition and my condition in our life of sin. You didn't ask to be born into this world, but yet here we are. You didn't ask to be born into the community, into the family that you were born into, but here you are. You didn't ask to live in the community in the neighborhood where you grew up, but you did. And, and you didn't ask to be living in a life of a world full of sin, but here we are. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing you can do to eliminate the sin in your life. His life is a picture and a figure of your life and mine. When we come to the Lord crippled and unable to do anything for ourselves. Every one of us has the condition of sin in our life. I know you think you have it all together. I know you you, you make this image of yourself that everything's everything's working okay. That you don't have any weaknesses. When you go swimming, the only trouble that you have with swimming is that you end up walking on the water instead of diving in. But the truth is... That we all need a savior in our life. This is the way the prophet Isaiah says in 64 verse 6. He says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall. And our sins sweep us away like the wind. On our best days, when we are at our best, we are still crippled in sin. Nothing but filthy rags. Like, isn't this supposed to be some good news, brother? Come on. The good news, the good news is that you're here because of God. I said the good news is that you're here because of God. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but listen to this. David seeks out Mephibosheth because of a promise that he had made. 2 Samuel chapter 9 verse 3 says, The king asks, is anyone left in Saul's family? I want to show kindness to that person. I want to show kindness to that person. This is an image of God towards you and towards me. That God desires to show kindness to you and to your family. Not because you earned it. Not because you deserve it. But simply because he's good. Listen, listen to Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you are lost, you are a candidate to be found in the precious arms of Jesus. He asked, is there anyone I can show kindness to? This is the Lord that we serve. But in order for you and I to be able to understand and grasp the magnitude of what God's mercy is, we first need to understand the greatness and the magnitude of my sin. How is that? If if we walk and we act like we have it all together, like we don't make any mistakes, there is no need for mercy in my life. You see, because you come to God and you say, God, I'm here before your presence because I've earned it. I'm here before you because I'm good. But, and that automatically disqualifies you for mercy. How, how does that work? Let me break it down to you. After, after service, if someone from your kind heart wants to take me out to eat, fine, we'll go out to eat. But if we go there and, and, and one of our friends conveniently forgets his wallet. You have some of those friends? Raise your hand if you have one of those friends. All right, if you don't have one of those friends, it's probably you. <laughs> that conveniently forgets. So now, he's there standing in front of the register, awkwardly looking around, and you know that look, and you're like, okay. In order for you to be able to help him, he has to admit that he doesn't have any money. And once he says, you know what, I don't have anything. Now you can come and show mercy to him and gift him his meal. Does that make sense? But, but if he wants to pretend all day long, like, no, no, it's here. I know it's here somewhere, and all along he knows. Not only is his wallet back in the car, but he knows it's empty. And he can pretend all day long. But until he says, you know what, I need help. Now he's a recipient of, his, of your mercy. But when we come to the house of God, uh, brother, sister, I don't, I don't know sometimes what the struggle is, but we want to come to him and say, God, I got it all together. I'm doing this for you. I'm praying here. I'm fasting there. I'm reading this. I want this. I, I want you to answer this prayer because of everything that I'm doing. It's not because of what I'm doing that earns me his mercy. It's because of what he has done for me that God offers me the opportunity to now capitalize on that mercy. It is when I admit that I'm lost that now I am able to cash in to what he has for me. Does that make sense? It's not something I'm avoiding. It's something I'm admitting that without you, I am crippled. Without you, I am lost. But thanks be to God that he came to seek and find that which was lost, which is you and me. One of my most favorite verses, and I tell these young people this all the time, uh, there might be a day, a Thursday, a midweek Bible study that I don't share this verse with them, but it hasn't come yet, and that's Romans 5.8 that says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Such a powerful word. Why, Why is this? What is the emphasis here? The emphasis is that God didn't wait for you to fix your life. He doesn't need for you to fix your life. He needs you to admit that you need a savior. And once you admit that you need a savior, he rushes in to save you. And when we recognize that, that's why, this is why it's easy to praise and dance in the altar. And it's easy to shout praise to him because we're recognizing his greatness. We're recognizing his goodness in my life. Our brokenness can cripple us. However, we are broken yet beloved. Broken yet beloved. David seeks out Mephibosheth because of the promise that he made to him. He seeks him out because of a promise. God came to make a promise in your life and mind. And he seeks you out to fulfill his own word. To be, to be able to give to you that which he knows you are missing. I, I love the, the scripture of the man that comes to Jesus and, and he's sick. And he's saying, Jesus, uh, I, I'm sick. I, I, I need you to heal me. And, and Jesus looks at him, a sick man, and says, your sins are forgiven. What? What do you mean my sins are forgiven? I didn't come here for that. I came here because I'm sick. And Jesus looks at this man and he's able to see what he really needs. Can you relate to that? We were singing earlier, saying, Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way. And you say, God, I really want this job. And God says, no, that's not for you. God, you're not answering my prayers. He is answering your prayer because I heard you singing. And you said, Lord, have your way. Matter of fact, we all heard you singing. Lord, have your way. And when we ask him to have his way, we're saying, Lord, we're going to trust you in this. And he comes and he, he offers this. David offers up this mercy because of a promise. And we know that when God promises something, it will always come to pass. And because of David's goodness, he seeks out Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. He goes and he looks for him. And, but, but he says, I'm crippled. He, he says this incredible statement. He says, I'm nothing but a dog. I'm nothing but a dog. I'm, I'm worthless. There's nothing good in me. And, and if you go back and you read the scripture, David never even acknowledges his statement. I can almost picture them talking to each other. I'm nothing but a dog. And David says, all right, make sure he has a seat at my table. And this is what the Lord comes to do to you and me. He says, come. I'm seeking you out because I'm good and because I love you. Why, Why the emphasis here? The emphasis is this. That we have people who feel like they've fallen away too long. You might feel like, I've I've done too much. Brother, you don't know where I've been and you don't know what I've done. I'm here to tell you that God is coming out to seek you out, to bring you back and put you back into the fold. Why? Because he's good and because he loves you. Look at 2 Samuel verse 9. Chapter 9 verse 3, excuse me, where it says, there's still a son of Jonathan brings me to my next point that he takes us from broken to belonging from broken to belonging it says there's still a son of Jonathan a cripple now look at verse 4 if you can see verse 4 with me there's still a son of Jonathan a cripple and verse 4 says this that David says where is this son Where is this son? For his entire life, Mephibosheth is known as the cripple. He's known as the broken one. He's known as the handicapped one. He's known as the one that's just not good enough. And David comes and says, Where is this son? First John chapter 3 verse 1 says behold the manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called sons and daughters of God He takes us from our brokenness to belonging The grace of God comes to take us from brokenness to belonging uh, that, that's something to be surprised about In spite of our sinful nature a perfect and a holy God calls me his own he takes me from that brokenness. He doesn't ignore the brokenness, but in spite of it, he brings us to his fold. There's a saying that says, the devil knows you by your name, but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. The richness of his mercy. That everyone calls Mephibosheth the crippled, and David comes and calls them a son. God does not call you by your sin, but he calls you, you're his son and his daughter. This is the mercy. Some of you guys are getting this. Some of you guys are understanding that it's not because I've been good. It's not because of something I've earned. It's all because God has been good to me and bestowed his love upon my life. (laughs) Isaiah 43 says, I have called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. Takes me to my next point. In our life, experience brokenness. He comes to rescue us. He comes to set us free from our brokenness. And in our brokenness, we may be broken, but we're not forgotten. I said, We're broken, but we're not forgotten. Look at Samuel 9:11. It says the king asked Ziba, where is this son? Ziba answered, he's at the house of Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Where is he? He's in Lodabar. Why is this significant? This is significant in Lodabar because Lodabar was an abandoned town. It was a forgotten town. As a matter of fact, the word Lodabar means desolate, abandoned, forgotten. And his brokenness led him to feel this abandonment in his life. When we live a life of sin, it comes to break us. It comes to cripple us. And because of the things that you may have gone in your life, you feel abandoned. You feel broken. You feel isolated. Nobody understands. Nobody gets it. Everyone over there has everything together. Their life is put together. Their family pictures look amazing. And my life is struggling. My family is falling apart. I don't know what to do. But here he is in Lord of Bars thinking, nobody even knows I exist. And the king comes to this small town named Lodabar. To this forgotten town. To this desolate town. To this abandoned town. And let me tell you one thing. That there is nobody that is unreachable by the blood of Jesus Christ. I said there's nobody who is unreachable by the love of God. I don't care how far you think you've fallen. How far away you think you've strayed. You have not fled the reach of God's arm in your life. It reminds you of this story of this missionary. This missionary was preaching in Vietnam back in the 60s and 70s. He was preaching and and he was arrested for preaching the gospel. And he was put in a prison, an isolated, dark prison. And he thought, he shares later in his biography, that he thought it was going to be a short time. But days turned into months, It turned into years, and he was in this dark prison, and he would pray every day and say, Lord, take me out of this prison, and every day was his prayer, and he says in his own words with his own pen, he says, there came a time that I said, Lord, tomorrow is my last prayer. I can't take it anymore. This isolation this abandonment, I'm forgotten. Nobody even back home knows whether I'm alive. I, I I can't take this anymore. And so he said his goodbyes to the Lord. He said, Today is my last prayer. Tomorrow we'll see what happens. And so he says his prayer. And the next morning, the guard comes and he makes him go clean out the latrines. And he's cleaning out the latrines. If you know what that means, he's clean out the, the toilets. A dirty job. he making him, making him work this job. And at the corner of his eye, he sees some paper on the floor that has English letters on it. It's been years since he's seen English letters. So he immediately pulls it out. It's covered in feces. But he sees English letters. And as he wipes it, he reads the words that say, and all things work together for good for those who love God are called according to his purpose it was one page the guards were using bible as toilet paper to mock but yet the moment that he had given up even in this darkest moment he reads chapter 8 of romans and if you keep reading it, it says in verse 28, all things work together for good. But if you keep reading, you get to the verse 30 where it starts to say, but we are more than conquerors to Jesus Christ loved us. Because neither life nor death nor heaven or hell, nothing can separate from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He begins to receive this message. And let me tell you this. In the middle of your isolation, there's nobody that's unreachable. You might think nobody understands, but God is still there in the dark moments of your life. His presence is still present. He's still there. You might feel alone but he's still there nobody is unreachable by the love of god and i say that as a reminder if you have a loved one who you think is falling away there's no way he can ever come back there's no way she's just gone too far there's no one that's unreachable by the love of god lord Bar means desolate abandoned and forgotten this is where mephibosheth ended up at this point in his life this is where he's planning to live out the rest of his life abandoned forgotten never to be mentioned again but god had other plans isaiah 49:15 says can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb surely they may forget yet i will never forget you broken, but not forgotten. I I may not have it all together, but I'm not forgotten. I may make mistakes sometimes, but God has not abandoned me. He has not abandoned you. I know you don't have it all together. I know you say things and do things and go places where you think you shouldn't go, but God has not given up on you. God has not given up on us. To, remind to those who feel they can't come back. Why, why, why do we say this? Why do we repeat this? Because I believe that God is calling home the prodigals. I believe that God is calling home those who have strayed away. Your loved ones who should be sitting next to you. God is calling them home. We want them to come home to the Lord. They are not unreachable. We want them to return to the Lord. The Lord is not afraid of entering into the dark places of our life. He's not afraid to enter into the brokenness of our life. And to those places that you have, the the places in your heart that you don't allow anybody to enter. That's where God wants access. Because he comes to heal. He comes to put back, back together. He comes to restore. Our God is the restorer of the brokenness in our life. He goes to the most desolate, abandoned, and lonely places only to bring us back to himself. And this is what happens in our next point. Brokenness is rendered irrelevant at the banquet, brokenness is rendered irrelevant. At the banquet. Look at verse 11 from chapter 9. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth. You see, do you see that up there? It doesn't say, so the crippled ate at David's table. It says Mephibosheth ate at the table. Like one of the king's sons. Where's the cripple? Where's the, where's the brokenness? Where's, where's everything that he went through in his life? The brokenness is rendered irrelevant when you're sitting at the table with the king. This is what the love of God comes to do to you and me. This is how we can come to the banquet. This is how we can sit at the table of the king. And the brokenness of our life is rendered irrelevant as we enter into the presence of the king. This is why we emphasize his presence. This is why we say God inhabits the praises of his people so that you may worship him and experience the presence of God. His broken, your brokenness is rendered irrelevant at the banquet table. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 says this. It says, God saves you by his grace when you believed, And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can ever boast about it. It's, it's important to remember this as you, Continue to walk with the Lord. You've been serving the Lord for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. And, and it's important to remember that we continue to come, not because I've earned anything. I have not earned anything. Brother, Stanley, why do you say that all the time? I want you to understand this. Why? So that when someone wants to come back to the feet of Jesus... That you can't say, well, you have to do this first, and, and you have to do that. And maybe if you start paying your tithes, and maybe if you give an offering once in a while, and maybe if you help clean up around the church, and, and maybe if you do some community service, maybe you can begin to earn some of God's goodness. That's not how it works. It doesn't matter what you did. You can never earn the goodness of God. You are here. I am here because God is good, and because he loves me, and because I can never out in the blood of Jesus I can't ever make enough mistakes to overpower the love of God there's nothing I can do to ever erase the goodness of God nothing I remember having this conversation with a young person they said I can't come back after what I did I can't come back and everybody knows what I did I can't come back I don't deserve to come back Terrible words to say, but I understand. But for this individual person, I said, "How arrogant of you to think that your sin is more powerful than the blood of Jesus! How arrogant of us to believe that I can out His grace!" Now. Brother Saeed must be saying that I can just do whatever I want and I can just live the life that I want. Absolutely not. Paul said the same thing. He said, can I continue in sin so that grace may abound? Absolutely not. We continue to serve the Lord because we recognize my brokenness. I recognize my lostness and I recognize his goodness. And the least that I can do is serve him the rest of my life with all that I have inside of me. God saved you by his grace when you believed. I can't take credit for this. But it's because of his goodness, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. If you don't have this certainty, wouldn't you like to have that certainty? To know that God is with me? I want my children to know that no matter where they go in life, as they continue to grow up, that no matter where you are, you cannot outrun the grace and the mercy of God. Wherever your life takes you, you can never outrun the grace and the mercy of God. I want you to walk out of this building today with this assurance that God is for me. And if God is for me, who can ever be against me? Revelation 3.20 says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. What's interesting about this scripture, and we can get into another day, that's interesting about the scripture is that this scripture is written to the church. And we, we use it, and it's an invitation, absolutely it is. If you, don't, if you have never experienced the goodness of God, we want you to come and, and open up your heart as, as the Lord is knocking. But this is really a message to us, the believers, And my question to you is this, if we're saying this is the house of God, if we're saying my heart is the house of God, how is it that now he says he stands at the door and knocks? Could it be that in our our way of life, as we continue to serve the Lord, perhaps maybe with some arrogance and with some belief that I have arrived, that I have made it on my own, that I have accomplished great things, that I am a great man, I'm a great woman, and that I'm here to live such an amazing legacy, that I've done some amazing things, that we have forgotten, that now we have pushed Jesus out, and he's standing outside now knocking to come back in. My question here is how is Jesus knocking to get into his own house? How did he get outside when he was inside? How is it that he used to be everything for me? How is it that he was everything for you when you had a passion to love him? When you had a passion to serve him? When nothing was going to stop you from getting into your prayer closet? Can we come back to making Jesus my everything? When you had nothing else in mind except to get close to the feet of Jesus. I stand at the door and I knock, says Jesus. If you hear my voice, open the door. I will come in and eat with you and you with me. What is he talking about? He's talking about a relationship with you a relationship what god desires more than anything else is to have a relationship with you and with me it's not a transactional relationship where i have to give him this in order for him to give me that. It's a father to son a father to daughter where he loves me because i am his daughter and i am his son it doesn't matter what happens he continues to love me come to his table where your sin, your handicap, your hangups are no longer relevant. Your brokenness is rendered irrelevant at the banquet at the king's table. This is the message of the cross. This is the message of redemption for you and for me. Now this is the invitation that I want to make. This is my what the Lord has pressed upon my heart. If you have never given your life to the Lord, this message is for you. The Lord is calling you to surrender your life to Jesus. Brother, you can't just call them out like that. I'm calling you up. I'm not calling you out. I'm calling you up. I want you to experience the goodness of God. Does anybody here want everyone else to experience the goodness of God the way that you have? And we have friends and we have visitors here at this place today. But I want you to see that everyone you see around you, at one point, was sitting here just the way that you are today. Here for the first or second time. not understand what it's all about. I like the song. I like the way they sing. Sister Tina has an amazing voice leading the worship team today. And you're enjoying the presence of God. But you're saying, but what is this all about? This is about Jesus trying to reach you. This is about him dying on the cross 2,000 years ago and having you in mind.